0: Welcome back to another episode of Mastermind Discussions. I'm your host, Matthew LaCroix. And today, on episode number three, I'm joined by David Easter, esoteric researcher and graphic designer from British Columbia, to dive deep into secrets of ancient history, forbidden texts, and the nature of reality. David, how are you doing today, my friend?
1: Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on and to everyone listening as well. Thank you for tuning in. It's been wonderful to to have this opportunity and I'm excited
0: to have a great conversation today. Get people updated about how you've been doing too. I'm actually glad you mentioned that I have a a very exciting guest that is um, going to be coming on for April on Mastermind Discussions. and I won't throw any names out there, but it's one of my favorite researchers that I mention all the time. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Now to give a little Mm. background on my um, relationship with David and how we met and how we got down this road. David approached me a number of months ago with the idea of creating a um, more professional artwork design for mastermind discussions because he had told me he was a graphic designer and that led to also designing the artwork for my video intro. So David has designed um, quite a few different pieces of artwork for me to, for me to play with. And I've really been enjoying working with them. So, you know, we're going to get into talking about some of that artwork. We're going to get into talking about some of these deep concepts of duality and the nature of reality and, you know, ideas, concepts of like the archons and the controllers of our reality and things like that. But before we do, I want to just ask you, David, why don't you give us a little brief background into yourself and how you got started down this path?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So, I think as you started, it's probably good to mention, uh, you mentioned I live in British Columbia and it's one of these really beautiful places. Um, I think it's highly regarded, especially where I live, uh, Vancouver Island. It's very temperate, it's all boreal rainforest. And so you kind of have magic on the doorstep. You know, as a child, you're just able to, to but only an hour drive away from this place called Goldstream, and you have mountains and rivers and all sorts of beautiful wildlife. And even the city itself, uh, Victoria I live in, is quite the garden city. We take a lot of pride in sort of. Of just flowers and trees, really everywhere, and so that's pretty incredible. And um, as well, we have, and I think this could be, uh, I believe, is important. We have an unfluoridated water supply, and that's mattered to me an awful lot once I started to realize some of the the things that go along with having that. And, and I know a lot of people aren't so fortunate. I don't think, and uh, so it's really just a beautiful place here. And Although on the other hand, the the society specifically is a little bit like they want to be LA number two or LA of Canada. And it can be a little bit, you know, if you're not about that energy growing up here, um, you can really realize like these different archetypes of materialism and uh, different sort of just you know, like I said that energy it's very different like focusing on how you look and and acquiring money and even even just the way the city wants to build you know because it is a, it's a younger one and I found myself sort of you know I got to go out lots thanks to my mother who who drove us out uh, pretty often but when it comes to living in the city I was I tend to actually spend a lot of time inside because I wasn't you know, unable to make friends easily and stuff like that and Although I'll get into this a little bit later when it comes to uh, whether or not I was wasting time, but I spent a lot of time playing video games as a young kid. You know, you, you actually get just it's purely, I think, mostly a distraction. However, there are aspects to, if you if you take it far enough in yourself, you be like, oh, this is a lot of artistic value and inspiration and things like that, that I actually think helps sort of, you know, uh, create a spark as just... I was actually just watching a video of yours uh, with Aaron Rock Roach, I believe, The Missing Spark of Passion, and it was a really good talk between you guys. Yeah,
0: How did um, living in an environment like British Columbia, with these boreal temperate rainforests and massive mountains in a place where it's there's there's a city victoria right there but it's it's different than a lot of other places like going to somewhere like new york city or chicago mm-hmm. it's a totally different kind of atmosphere there's that western mentality you know the people of the west where you know as people were coming to the united states and they and then they were finding religious persecution or people that were different they just kept heading west and i think in some ways i'm a little jealous because there's a lot of um i could call them a lot more awake people and a lot more um, mm-hmm. connected people to nature in places like Washington and Oregon and parts of Northern right. California, all the way up yeah. into places like British Columbia. So how did, how did the environment like that influence you um, along your path? Actually,
1: that's a good way to connect where I kind of got lost is that I, I think that was my main source of connection to that fantasy i felt like i was lacking in the city or at school i was able to at least go out to a park close by and because we just have a lot of beautiful landscape even within the city um just you can kind of get in not to sound like a hippie or anything but you can get lost and just sort of like oh the wind is blowing and i love the way the wind is blowing and things like that and and really like of course every day when i'm able to I guess I sort of have like a mountain view, but they're so far away. But the Olympic Mountains and from Washington are visible from Victoria, where I live right across. And they kind of just have this really great, just almost like, uh, kind of like living in the Shire or something of Lord of the Rings. You feel like the world is also just beyond, and you kind of have this. But in terms of, of yeah, feeling that connection to nature, that was something that very recently I've had to reinstate back into my life and it's through learning about really this esoteric research and going into history and learning how deeply connected the people and, and actually another good point here about British Columbia especially the aboriginal people who live here you know they had such a deep relation to the land and, and really realized how magical it was in a, in a way that governed their lives and i find that so fascinating because here we are we're just walking around we, we don't look at the earth as if it's this being that's going to create us and teach us and but that's how they lived and, and i think that to be honest for a while because of the sort of the history perhaps of the european mindset uh versus the aboriginal mindset and the way that can influence children, and we'll go into that in a little bit because of like why they put that bias there. Um, you don't necessarily have the same respect maybe, or I didn't, sorry, I should say uh, for their culture until I was a little bit older. And I kind of would think things like, well, here the Europeans were building great ships and traveling across the ocean. And yeah, you know, what were they doing? And I realized later how backwards that mindset was too. Yeah, because they were, were
0: considered like savages, right? We're we all told yeah. that you know Columbus came here and founded the new world and that all these savage people were here living in very primitive ways. And then later on, you know, we learned, well. Were they living the correct way you know they had respect the earth they were living off the land they had Mm -hmm. connections to spirituality and nature and the the stars Mm -hmm. just like the ancient people did so really are we backwards yeah it's pretty
1: much how it feels when you kind of do the comparison obviously we have like a lot of passionate people here about the environment as well and who are probably still kind of holding up a bit of a fight when it comes to like the pipelines and whatnot you'll see a lot of news about the aboriginal uh, indigenous groups and bands you know putting up resistance because it is important to preserve that sort of thing, and though I don't know about a lot about the economics uh and why it's important that they transport all the oil through there but um yeah, yeah, I definitely found that as i as I, I grew up in this place uh you know we even have like the municipalities are named after still the the original places, I live in Esquimalt, which it's called, and I should actually learn exactly what it means, but, um, you know, just even Juan de Fuca is like the, the tectonic plate that we live on and stuff like that, and it can, I'm glad that we have a sort of respect, at least, for the culture in a way that I don't feel is everywhere, uh, because they're like, if you go into a place called Duncan, up Island, it's like the totem pole city, and it's really wonderful to see all these great works of art and of these people, and when you see the spirituality that's invoked in that, you know, and that's. Uh, something in comparison to maybe our cities today as well. They, they lack sort of inspiration that way in terms of setting up a...
0: Yeah, these con- you know, concrete jungles, right? And they're just all squares,
1: you know, next yeah. to each other rather than... I mean, I'd almost prefer living in a city that had like a geometric layout or something. But at the end of the day, even of course living amongst the earth would, would be maybe ideal, but we could get into how we're so unsuited for that
0: also. Yeah. Uh, you know... David, let species. me ask you... Um, how how did you get started with starting to challenge the narrative and look in a different way mm. at reality and start looking into? Well, I want to figure out what some of some of the information yeah. is behind our history. How did that all start for you? Was there like a one moment, the spark, or was it just a, a a number of small things that led up to it? I think I think it was probably a
1: number of small things throughout like the early course of my life that I mostly ignored and thought was just like woo woo silly stuff you hear online in fact I, I've i been familiar with this term Anunnaki since I was about 12 years old or something and my brother who was a bit older he, would, he was researching this he must have been looking at Zachariah Sitchin and, and then told me about this idea that they came and created us as a slave race to harvest gold and so really in the back of my mind my whole life almost I've had sort of this idea like well we could be like genetically made by aliens and I don't know but because there's so much of this information and things like that kind of always had me like I I was always skeptical of the information I received and yet enthusiastic to integrate it at the same time and so I was sort of in a limbo for a long time and then my mother as well she probably was pretty pivotal and she got interested in researching characters like Greg Braden who you might be familiar with and um they sort of the whole zeitgeist thing different uh just concepts learning about SAIs, you know, chemtrails, which is something that I should say living in British Columbia, like although we have unfluoridated water, we're quite victim to these chemtrails and SAIs all the time. You know, the sun is just starting to come out here and I wouldn't be surprised if after I see a couple zigzags. And that is... uh, unfortunate because you could tell the difference and
0: so i like to use that term sai you don't hear people use that term really ever huh no i learned that from you to be honest yeah yeah,
1: yeah. i was like well kentrail sounds like what you would call a conspiracy theory and to make a quick note on that the word conspiracy is like the it's a real thing you know people are conspiring against mankind it's not like conspiracies are something you unravel it it's not quite like that in terms of conspiracy theories but um to go into it the, then, and then my mom also watched this documentary called The Pyramid Code. And I'd always kind of thought the pyramids were fascinating. But she started to tell me a little bit about like just how these ancient, she mentioned things like the, the Kemet secret keepers. And that later to me would click in when I learned about the land of Chem and, and things like that. But what most fascinated me as I started to kind of let this light turn on in my head about the pyramids was I've always known that there was pyramids in Mesoamerica. But only certain ones, like Chichen Itza for the most part, right, and, and then And then in Egypt, you're just like, well, that's strange. And even the Babylonians apparently were building ziggurats, which are like, like kind of like pyramids almost. And you, you start to wonder about why were they all doing that? And as a kid, I feel like it, it, I was just brushed behind. Like, oh, they must have had a similar, like, like an archetype of the mind thing, right? It just the similarities in our building structure. However as you learn it, you start to realize that with, with really much more of a critical viewpoint, Like the, even the architecture is so precise in some ways that you have to start wondering, okay, so they say that they were disconnected by thousands of years and thousands of kilometers. How does that happen? How do you get these pyramids? And specifically, I think one of the, as I started to research finding out about Teotihuacan, I'd never learned about that in school. I'd learned about Tenochtitlan or Tenochtitlan and you know how it got destroyed, but Teotihuacan, I don't even know why that's still standing if they left Tanakhdolan, to flattened, you know? And But the fact is, like, that went completely under the radar. And when I see these very space-looking pyramids, which just never got mentioned to me as well, I was like, okay, that's, that's even weirder than Chichen Itza to me. And I definitely got in this bit of a rabbit hole just wanting to learn about the pyramids of Giza That because I knew that they were kind of oldest. And, and then actually upon that research, finding people like Robert Schock and Graham Hancock, yeah. those like really, and John Anthony West, of course, who, who had the, the Robert Schock, who was really just a basic geologist and was kind of expecting that he would disprove John Anthony West. Yeah, sure enough, story. He, he brings him there. And then he's just like, Oh, this is water erosion from about 36,000 years ago, probably, because that was about the last time it rained there. And then you find out about the alignment with like the Sphinx and, and the, um, when the house, or the, sorry, the the sun was housed by the zodiac of Leo, you know, because the procession of the equinox, you know, at that same time, it makes a lot more sense to be like, oh, this thing does look disproportionate, like it's been recarved, and so I think that was probably one of the main. And as I went down this road um, to maybe bring it into how I found you as well, um, I picked up a game because I started this interest in in the pyramids while i was still kind of working and trying to find ways to enjoy myself when i got off from those eight hour long shifts and stuff and i was playing this video game called assassin's creed origins which is set in egypt and i remember eventually seeing this symbol on like a shield which was the as as you see in mastermind discussions there in fact I, it's this eye of this watch at the Eye of Horus with the eagle and the serpent on each side, and I asked to the friend who I had over at the time aloud, I said, what is the eagle and the serpent about? Like, That's really, I wonder what those mean, because I understood a bit about the Eye of Horus being this all-seeing eye thing, and almost being like, like the sight over mankind or something, and how that works. And the next day uh, I refreshed YouTube and I saw this battle of the Eagle and the serpent and Leel and Anki battle uh, or fight over humanity's timeline. And it's a video of yours. And it really was one of these one of many synchronicities I should say that started to really awake me. I was like, okay, synchronicities seemed like, you know, just nonsense before, but then when you have enough of them that have come out of an intuition,
0: you're just like, whoa! how do I live with that? It's powerful, isn't it? Like how can, so it's like, that, so like that moment you brought up when you're, for the first time, questioning this powerful concept that connects to so many different aspects of ancient history. And mm-hmm. at that moment, you know, people would say, well, that's just different scripts and different things like that that are coming up. But at that moment, what you're thinking about, you know, pops up wherever it is. It doesn't have to be YouTube. It doesn't matter where it is. Just mm-hmm. this concept pops up that, that almost answers this question that you had at that moment or in that relative recent time frame. And then it's like it's like those gates were opened for you to go mm-hmm. and to seek it. And I, I think that it is absolutely is a synchronicity. And I I encourage a lot of other people to pay attention to those because I as well mm-hmm. had many of those along my path and I started to really pay attention to them. And it, it brought to me this whole other level of 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 really asking questions like, well is there this higher conscious energy that mm. wants this information to be known? Because it connects to so many different aspects of our past. And it's, yeah. it's like that truth is screaming to be heard. And it's coming out in these really interesting ways with these inquisitive young people that are seeking the truth and knowledge. And so speaking of that, David, let's go into a little bit about what inspired you to create some of the art um, as part of Mastermind Discussions and um, some of the new, the new channel art that I have.
1: Yeah, so uh, really I, I, I kind of didn't mention this part, but when I went to graphic design school, part of it was sort of like, I got a bit of a bad feeling about um, what is like usually just this culture of manipulation that goes with it and so I sort of took a back seat and mostly focused on like I have this ability you know to exercise for art and when I want to when I'm passionate about it and interestingly they tell you in school that you don't get to choose what you work on but I was like that sounds like nonsense I'll just email Matt and see if he wants to Kind of collaborate on this and sure enough it worked out and funny enough it worked out in a very timely manner because i broke my knee the week a couple of days after i got surgery you had emailed me back that was wonderful and i had uh, this time to do the work and so to hear back from you i just was thinking about all these different things that i had experienced learning and listening to your work for the last sort of two years and reading this book for the last couple months, as it were, and uh, I got it pretty much right away in August. This is my older version, I got a little bit beat up. So I'm glad I had a new one. Thank you for that. Um, and when it came to definitely right away mastermind discussions, that was what I was interested in, in emailing you about, I should say, is I saw you were starting this new podcast, and I was really excited and said, well, this would be perfect. I, you know, I, I've been just kind of practicing mentally for this for a while. And when I got to talking to you, um, you know, it kind of came down, which, which way do you want to take it? Do you want to go with something that's a little more like choosing a side or, or remaining objective? And, and also then, do I want to incorporate that synchronicity that I ended up having? And I, I chose to with this because I felt that there was another little synchronicity that happened during the design process. It's just a coincidence almost, maybe not. But, you know, the idea of having, I guess it goes this way on the screen, but like mastermind discussions in the Eagle and the Serpent, And I mentioned this to you when I was uh, kind of breaking it down that there's, you know, the masters, They want the ego wants to be the master and that the serpent is more about conquering the mind and not conquering people's minds, but the mind of the self, you know, like in kind of focusing on those things you should just say rather than mastering. And that was interesting that it worked out more.
0: No, I really love awesome. it. They're they're beautiful. It's a beautiful design. I've, I'm really excited about it. And for um, that'll be the cover of this show. And um, you'll see that in the intro as well. And I hope everybody appreciates all the hard work that David did that goes into those. Um, and and speaking of that, David, um what what made you decide to really look into these ancient texts though? You started to research things mm-hmm. like uh, the Nag Hammadi and you got right. into Book of Enoch and you probably started to look at um, these ancient writings in a totally different way to like asking questions maybe like well how come no one's ever heard of them because I mean so like, like for instance to expand on that if you went into um, if you went into Victoria and you walked around the city and you asked people if they have ever heard of the Nag Hammadi scriptures I mean how many people do you think would ever have ever heard of that right
1: no, not likely, really, many at all, especially because it's considered apocrypha, after all. Like, it's been it's been on the fringe since its beginnings,
0: anyways. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to get into some discussions now. I'm going to read a little um, excerpt from the Nag Hammadi scriptures, and I'm going to give a little background first, and then David and I are going to talk about it a little bit and discuss sort of these, these aspects of human archetypes and the struggle over different aspects of energy here and even our, in a little bit into our origins, the origin story of mm-hmm. mankind. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with the Nag Hammadi, it's in one of these forbidden Gnostic texts that was discovered in 1945 in a cave along the Nile River. Very similar, if you were to go research something like the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Book of Enoch, you find that those were found in a cave near the Dead Sea. in in almost Mm -hmm. in in all of these examples these ancient texts were buried and deliberately hidden because at that time period there was um everything from potentially disastrous disastrous climate effects occurring potentially but also empires things like the roman empire and and other groups that were seeking to destroy these writings because Mm -hmm. if you were to look at the new Testament today and in the, and what became what we think of as the Bible and all these religious texts that came out, out of that and branches of that, the book of Enoch, the Nag Hammadi scriptures, these were completely left out and and ignored and, and, and in many ways suppressed from society. And so we're left with these mostly unknown pieces of literature that paint this far different picture of not only ancient history, but even, even human origins themselves, and they give us this completely different perspective of our, of our of who we are, right, David?
1: No, for sure. And I think that's specifically what you say about being a different story from the one that you've sort of heard. Because although um, you know, growing up in a society that's largely starting to abandon these Christian and Catholic doct- uh, doctrines, you still have this story lingering. And you're very confused about all these weird shreds of information about why people would even sort of believe them anyways if you look at them objectively and that's not to trash on anybody I promise but it's more just from when when you don't have a clear picture how do you piece together but these writings provide such a clear picture it, it's obvious why they were hidden at that point
0: yeah and and you'll find out and, and right after I read this and the first thing I want to just point out is when people look into aspects of these ancient gods and i put that in quotes cuz they're not really gods and a lot of, and a lot of people complain when I use that term, but I'm yeah. simply just using the term that they used. It's hard to describe some of the influences of our past because we have to understand and I'll just, you know, we'll set the stage here is that we exist in a reality that's based on dimensions all around us. And, and what we perceive in the third dimension material world is simply just one dimension surrounded by higher and lower dimensions. And so our perception of the nature of reality itself is extremely limited. And so therefore, when we look around and we see this world around us, we think we know everything that exists, but largely uh, most of it is invisible. And it's like our perspective Mm. is just such a lower end perspective of everything that exists all around us. That when we read these stories, when mystics and ancients who went into temples and went into deep meditation and had visions and out of body experiences and whatever you want to call them, these Different moments when the veil is lifted, when we're able to Mm -hmm. transfer ourselves out and see this non-physical world, to really see what this this reality is all about, it transforms the perspective forever. And and I want to read just a couple little quotes here from the book of John. Because other people who have listened to my channel, who have, done, who have read a lot of my work, I talk about um, the Archons and the Hypothesis of the Archons quite often. But I haven't really talked about the Book of John very often. And so today I want to talk about the, the Secret Book of John. Okay. Now, one of the quotes that I want to start out with is, for many people who have looked into these gods and the different names that have been used throughout history, uh, the Sumerians called them the Anunnaki. Um, They've been called angels and demons. They've been called names throughout history, and they almost always represent the same thing. But in the Nag Hammadi scriptures, there's certain names that are used for these beings that seem to rule our reality, a term like Yaldabaoth or the Demiurge. Now, Yaldabaoth, if you follow the characteristics of that being, you find that it is the Sumerian version of Enlil this lord of the air, this lord of the material physical world, okay? Now, in that, it states, and I quote, I am a jealous God, and there is no other God besides me. Now, isn't that interesting? And that's just the first quote, and we're going to get into a much longer one in a second. Mm. But isn't that interesting how when you read the the Old and New Testament, and you see all of these versions of that for instance jehovah and yahweh this figure Mm -hmm. that wants to play god like the story of adam and eve when this jealous god doesn't want us to have the knowledge of good and evil you find out well that's not really the the creator of of all at all it's it is Mm -hmm. this other jealous being just like it says he even states that he is he is a jealous god okay Mm -hmm. that doesn't want us to know certain truths about about reality so david what's your takeaway on how that affects our perception of reality with all these texts that basically have this these rewritten versions that completely per, um, uh, make us perceive reality in a, in a very, very closed-minded way, right? Yeah, for sure.
1: And when you brought up the, the Garden of Eden story there a little bit with basically going right to the jealous God thing there, that's actually a story I try to tell to people because it's so famous and show them that even in the most common wordings, you can clearly see that it's being told in a way that's like letting the truth through on the tiniest silver lining where like after all it, the serpent doesn't really do any actual deceiving and yet for some reason eve says like the serpent deceived me and you're just like i just read this and in fact this god figure deceived eve he literally lied to her and said don't eat from the fruit or i'll kill you or you'll, you'll die and the serpent goes no you won't actually die you'll just learn good and evil that's one of those things where immediately, like, I don't know how you can look at that story from an objective point of view and sort of not see that it doesn't add up even in the way it's being told.
0: But but the interesting thing that the takeaway as well, David, is that, well, this 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 is using terms about plural individuals. It's not like yes. this is like this prime creator right. God who mm-hmm. is saying all these things to play different archetypes. It's It's almost as if, there are these individuals who are competing over yeah. o- over our reality and our origins and our creation. And it's this competition, wouldn't you say? For sure. And that's something that I think
1: was definitely shed, you shed light on for me was this idea that you could look at these gods as being gods, plural, because to me, i had always understood that different mythologies like the Roman and Greek, that their gods uh, were still almost more like the, monotheistic version of God and the idea that it's not really a physical being or anything. I didn't understand that, but uh, I always saw the correlation.
0: And I want to clarify something when or bring something up for discussion here, but it seems like there's these two different representations of what we think of as gods. There's mm. the idea of, you know, like cer- certain indigenous cultures would reference the, the elements of earth or the mm. seasons as like gods, you know, the god of rain or the god of fire And but then on the other side, there are these real beings that are leaving these dialogues, having conversations, and fighting, and having Mm -hmm. these deep discussions about how they want our reality ruled. And so, to me, those are important to separate because it's not just one or the other. There's a lot of different ways to look at this. How do you separate this, and what's your take on it?
1: Uh, when When you go further, like to me, finding the root of of why they're competing with each other and goes into the, some of the writings that I was able to find through your work, like the Atrahasis, where you, what you said, the dialogue is very specific. It's not like these are just, um, because the Aboriginal people here in British Columbia have a lot of different uh, concepts of like, and you can actually compare some of them, like Thunderbird to Enlil, I think. Honestly, it's fascinating because it's you must respect the Thunderbird. But to go into that, uh, it's one of those mixes, in fact, where it's also nature being representation by you know, the flapping of an eagle's wings in, in thunder and lightning. At the same time, it has that, that, that side where it's an entity and it wants control and it wants to have some sort of a way to, to actually control people. Um, and when, when you go into those older writings and you see that there's really like like a back and forth like humans would have it, I mean, it's a little more inspired though than just what people would scribble
0: down in ancient times i think and w- wouldn't that be an easy way to confuse people too is if you think about it right when you go back into ancient records it seems so clear right there's this direct dialogue going on mm-hmm. but then later on because they they took on this a lot of the same attributes that yeah a lot of these other th- things you mentioned like elements and um things like looking at the seasons and rain and if you, but if you take on those attributes, it can become very confusing thousands and thousands of years later when we're trying to interpret all this stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the planets as well, uh, you know, yeah. Jupiter and, and Mars and all those things, you just think like, oh, of course, they found the celestial bodies and they made gods of them. Well, no, people like Gerald Clark and yourself get into it and I found him a little bit through you. that they're, they're fighting over these celestial bodies because they're ruling in our sky. They actually want to have the presence associated with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so getting deeper into those concepts, I want to continue with a longer quote from the secret book of John that I found just absolutely fascinating. Now, in one of the last shows I did, when I talked to Jeffrey Wilson, we, on, on the last mastermind discussions, for those who haven't seen episode number two, we got into an, an ancient Mesopotamian cuneiform tablet called the Myth of Adapa. And mm-hmm. in that, it mentions how Adapa is like this perfect man that is created who the Anunnaki gods become jealous over. And it goes through this whole story of how he's brought into these higher dimensions and these other locations, but then ultimately is brought back into our physical realm. And that's essentially where the story ends with him being mortal instead of being immortal. Now, it having, if go, this is what I want people to do. I want people to go either listen to that or go read the myth of Adapa and specifically reference um, when he's talking about how he's greater than the Anunnaki and all those things to connect what I'm about to read you because this is completely fascinating. The way, if you want to try to find correlation of truth, I have so many people, they're like, well, how do you know this is true? How do you know this wasn't just rewritten? How do, you know, how do we know what's real or not? Because so much, so much tampering has gone on. Well, the best way to do that is to just follow evidence. If you have an, a piece of writing from one location and then that same information is carried over by a completely different culture, thousands of miles away, you gotta start paying attention because mm-hmm. that, you, that's an instant piece of correlation. Now right. that's what, and that's why I'm excited to read this because it almost is like hand in hand, just what um, the basically the myth of Adapa said from Mesopotamia, but it's from the Nag Hammadi scriptures. It's a Gnostic writing. For those who don't know, the the word Gnostic comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. Okay, so this is basically a, a, an ancient people that prided themselves on the acquisition of knowledge and the preservation of knowledge, and this is what. It continues in the secret book of John says, and and I quote, and in that moment, the rest of the powers became jealous because he had come into being through all of them and they had given their power to man and his intelligence was greater than all of them who had made him and greater than even that of Yaldabaoth. And when he recognized that he was luminous and that he could think better than they, they took him and threw him into the lowest region of all matter. Okay. That is almost identical to the myth of Adapa. If you read that, it's almost identical to to break that down. Then I want to give David's um, his take on that. It's like this perfect man was created. That was even greater than, than their, his, it's creator. Okay. And I don't mean the prime creator of everything. This loving force that's that is basically intelligence that's found everywhere and the golden ratio and seen throughout you know galaxies and flowers and and shells that's not that creative force but these entities and beings that seem to have come here and, and and taken over our reality and designed things that the way they wanted to based on certain laws and rules and concepts and and here we are this being becomes even greater than them. And, and like I said at the beginning, this, that first quote, I am a jealous God and there's no other God besides me. There's, there's a lot of jealousy and uh, aggression in there towards mankind. Wouldn't you say, David?
1: Even just look at the way it's worded in Genesis. So he just says
0: like, man has become like
1: us, knowing good and evil, lest they eat from the fruit of life, then or, like, becoming immortal. And it's one of those things where if you can't, take it literally look at the subcontext in that it's very jealous it's like wait a minute this is a risk i don't want these humans to grow up and i did just find the quote that you found there and it's it's fascinating this is part of what i was reading last night and it's it's interesting the there's the character Adam in this, as I think they more so refer to it as uh, because it's a filter, you know, as it, the way it was the time it was written. But this Adapa character, they they even mentioned that he was lifeless for a while, that he sat on, and, and did not have a spirit at first. It's very really yeah. interesting that you learn about like this original spirit then came through and inhabited him, and the these creators uh, of Adapa were in fact deceived almost. That's another interesting point is maybe they feel cheated after all because they were trying to do something and yet this other spirit enters Adapa, and then that's when it realizes how powerful he is.
0: Let's expand on that because I really like that concept, David. So if you are an intelligent creator of, let's say you were going to create a video game, okay? Mm -hmm. You were going to create a video game where you create an an entire reality, right? It's complex, it's possible and you're creating galaxies and star systems you're creating matter you're creating how everything interacts with each other based on different vibratory structures and then you're you're saying okay well i want i don't want everything to just follow this perfectly loving and intelligent way i'll put in free will i'll put in the idea where beings can go whichever direction they want to based on the influences they have around them because that would be the ultimate way to to explore Every different freedom of expression, right? You would allow us this free reign to sort of feel our way through reality and discover things. Because like you said, we're not just this physical body, but we are this conscious energetic soul that takes, that resides in this physical body to experience a, a re, this reality here. And so going along with that concept, let's say you are overwatching everything that was going on in this reality you had created, right? This game. And in that reality, certain beings rose up to become so powerful that they literally tried to become gods themselves, right? And they tried to, to try to control other sentient beings so that they could play this role that they're not, re- they're, they're not really that prime creator, but they're trying to play that role because that's the ultimate role, right? So you, could, you, would be, you would be perceived as the creator of everything when you really are not. And so in that game, right? Let's say you're observing this situation where these powerful beings come to this realm where it's this place that is, has this creative spiritual energy. You can call it Gaia. You could even call it Sophia. If you wanted to use that term, that's referenced from the Nakamadi, this Gnostic term, this feminine creative spiritual energy that seems to allow life to flourish right in these certain places. Now our realm of earth is one of those places. Now, you're here and you decide you want to create a being that's taken on after your image. But that being's responsibility is to essentially do all your work in this reality and you control them in, in some jealous ways. Wouldn't the ultimate um, means of, um, you know, almost like a car, a karma type of uh, influence be that you would, instead of this primitive energetic consciousness, it would be like this, perfect creation this this Mm -hmm. conscious energy that would come in that would be greater than their creators that would be the ultimate sort of irony when it if if that type of decision was made and i think that in many ways that's what we are
1: yeah it's it's a cool story actually it reminded me as you were going about how this creator being not the all creator but the one who tries to assume the role of being i'm the creator being um his his own birth into reality is almost described as he doesn't see anything else beyond himself anyways he thinks i must be the all there is and that's why he sort of has perhaps this uh, a really volition to go ahead and just be like okay i have the power to take over a planet and abuse it that was really fascinating actually to, to have that part and definitely i think to to comment on that it's almost like the observer the real prime creator watched that ignorance that exactly. guy just stepped forward and be like huh it's kind of like how we do on planet earth to be honest it's very it, it kind of uh how would you say fractal it fractalizes it's interesting The like, the human attitude is so much derived perhaps from these beings and these these gods and um yeah it, it watches this guy step forward say i'm all it's important and then in the long game eventually basically screws him over perhaps. Or
0: yeah. Ain't. And you could, I, I guess I can see some correlations with that is, you um, for an example, you know, so much of our world is run through these AI type of artificial intelligence, computers mm. and these machines. Right. And, but we, we created those, right. We created those to do the work for us mm-hmm. so that they could service us. So we wouldn't have to do that work. Sounds a lot like what they did to create us, doesn't it? Now, yeah, what would I'm happen sure. if that artificial intelligence or, you know, non, um, you could call it this non-organic being, what if they were to become, you know, greater than, than we are, right? It's, it's, it would mm-hmm. be, it would make us angry. It would make us, it would, it would piss us off, wouldn't it, David?
1: Well, I think it would scare us too, which is probably part of the reason why it'd make us angry. And that's a really interesting aspect that goes into, like, even this Yelde Bay off uh, like. Extra-dimensional character can experience perhaps fear. And what an interesting idea.
0: Is so he's fearful because here's this, this you know sentient being that they were basically in charge of creating, but oops, it became potentially greater than them. And so what is the ultimate thing to do? Well, reading if you if you were to go back and read what I just said about how this, this character Adapa was cast down into the lower regions of matter if you had a spiritual being that had the ability to travel to other dimensions who is this higher being like a god like like they were this being who had conquered reality the ultimate way to trap it the ultimate way to get back at that being would be to force it into a lower realm of energy that it doesn't belong in in the first place to essentially trap us here and i think that that is where that fear aspect of what we could become, that was why that was decided. Because, I mean, look what happens to us. We only live 110 years and then we die and then we have to come back and live some completely different life again and try to regain everything we had before that and, you know, pick up these scraps and try to fight our way through this reality that is just completely ruled through chaos and ignorance and look at the mentality of people today. It's if, if you take your mind and, and put it on this higher level perspective, like we're talking about right now, these, you know, we are beings that are basically like gods of our reality and that we are supposed to be in these higher dimensions and be almost like creator gods. But instead look at what we're doing. We're fighting over artificial borders on the only planet we live on. We're destroying the the, the planet we, we that we have that is our home, polluting it with plastic all over the place, fighting and killing each other, without even knowing any of the people that we're killing. I mean, these are really really destructive mentalities that have been ingrained in us. Wouldn't you say? No, for sure. And
1: as as you get into with a lot of your work, it's to keep us in a low state of consciousness. Exactly. And uh, specifically, I thought it was interesting, actually, um, that you pointed that out. That it's about being a spiritual being that they, because I, yeah, I did say, into the lowest depths of the material world. And it, it almost gives the idea that there are you know, other worlds that, we, that uh, this Adamu was able to inhabit. Uh, and I think when you read the Apocrypha yourself, you sort of get the idea that the spirit didn't necessarily come from you know the creation process anyways that it is sort of an injection in an experience really it's becoming an avatar and the fact that we have become very not only systematically like tricked into putting ourselves into the lower state like there's lower like the, if you get into the chakras that like the red yeah. state um, but obviously perhaps we've been genetically manipulated as well along the lines to bring us further down to the fact that we can't because this adamu he's written as being like very radiant you know it's not quite your average person who is and it's not just because even even i'd say even compared to your average person who would be an enlightened you know, highly conscious person you're not quite achieving this god reality level and that might have just been it, it might not be quite as possible right now i'm not sure about that but you can touch on that
0: yeah so if if our reality is based on this idea of like a game and i want to go along with the same idea of that game i created the, the creator of everything, this intelligent designer, he puts a system in place where any sentient being, the only way for them to ascend to reach higher realms, is for them to realize that their physical body is just an illusion and that they are eternal spiritual energy, right? If that's the game, and you have to then conquer that reality by by making certain just choices in life and being a certain kind of person, following this lonely road of truth where Instead of just going along with what's told, you go out there to seek the mysteries of the universe, the mm-hmm. secrets that make up the fabric of what this reality is. And so if that's the game, then, th- then it would be very, very smart for this, these, this jealous God, Yaldabaoth, or if you want to call him Enlil, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, all these different names that have been used throughout history, whether, whatever the culture is, to trick us into living in a world that's almost ruled by chaos, right? So then you design this kingship structure where empires are just battling and everything becomes focused on material gain, material gain over resources and becoming strong and fighting one another. And before long, after generation after generation after generation of teaching you a completely incorrect model of our reality, we become lost in it, don't we? Um, right. And David, I want to read another quote to expand on this whole idea of us being in this game here with these, mm-hmm. certain, these certain rules that, that, that seem to govern us. And this, of course, you'll know where this quote comes from. This was the inspiration essentially behind why I called the last, my last book The Stage of Time. And the famous – everyone knows this quote, but I want to read it in terms of the context of what we're talking about. Shakespeare, he says famously – all of the world's a stage and all of the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and they have their entrances and one man in his lifetime plays many parts. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Because really look at this reality with free will and all the things that govern our decisions here. You know, we are basically, we have the ability to, to do anything we want. We can do anything we want here, but can we? because there's so many restrictions that are often in place what if you were to wake up in this lifetime and you were you know some child warrior in Africa with some civil war somewhere do do they have the same that person have the same mm. opportunities that someone that gets raised in some farm family with quiet where they you know maybe their father is you know he works at some ancient library somewhere and he brings back manuscripts for his son or daughter to read you know it seems like there's all these almost countless different means for which we're brought into this reality and we we don't all have the same um fair game put in place in front of us some of us have challenges that are so difficult to overcome that it almost seems impossible doesn't it
1: yeah and that's something obviously as you take this route and this path you become really thankful if you're in one of those more fortunate situations you know you're just kind of entering i think you've worded it before like start to become compassionate even. And you feel like, and it really is, it like overcomes you. And that's not at all to talk myself up. It's more just like, you look at those people and you think like, they've really been they're they're the most most victimized of this whole thing. Like I can't believe to think that I used to be a victim and I was able to break free or that I was broken free. It feels more like, honestly, if you just follow those synchronicities, but some of those people are living such day-to-day struggles to just get food and water that they're not going to notice the synchronicity at all. And they're not going to, I mean, on the bright side, you know, in some of the more uh, less developed countries, they still could have that connection to the stars and whatnot, at least, you know, that we are lacking now.
0: Yeah, and, and I, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, we live in, you know, in the United States and Canada, many of us live in this land of plenty where we have you know, almost anything we want when we want to get it. But what's the trade-off is that most people don't have so much light pollution and so many things that are obstructing their views of the, the, the stars and this incredible cosmos that we live in to then, and I bring that up all the time, but I think it's so important for us to, to, to talk about because when we lose that, we lose connection with, well, what is our place in this vast cosmos? You know, what is our place in this universe for us that are fortunate here to not have some of those struggles of others? We should remember that. And instead of being bored and just thinking, Oh, there's nothing to do when I'm sitting around, we should remember that if we are, have those opportunities to, you know, spend this time researching, you know, all these ancient texts and going out, you know, some night where it's pitch black and there's no clouds and just some hillside somewhere far from light pollution, go out and just perceive yourself in this vast cosmos and just change your perspective about everything. Because that's honestly the way where we can remind ourselves to not get lost in all of these different constructs and ideas that have just held us back for so long. And I remember when I first really realized all of that on a, on a deep level, it was almost like that moment where you wanted to cry because here you are your whole life. You've been made to believe you're just this dar. in most cases, unless mm-hmm. if you're a super religious person or if you're just someone that comes from like more of a base science level, but either way, in most cases we're made to believe that we're really just, um, an individual that doesn't matter in most cases yeah. and that we're just supposed to go along and do, you know, work our whole life and then essentially just pass on and die. But really, where all these, where we're, each one of us is this incredibly unique being that has the opportunity uh, to do anything they want if they, you know, if they're able to wrap their minds around what what they truly are. I mean, how do you perceive your existence here, David? Well, as you said, I think it definitely
1: started to become connected, like to the stars, because like you can get really fascinated when you look at the stars in like a fresh light again, because we live in a day and age where I almost look at us like these, although not the actual term fourth dimensional, but because like Carl Sagan describes like, you know, the flat land, and then we live in the 3D world, where you go into space, and there's not really an up or a down anymore. So it's kind of like four dimensions. And the fact that we grow up with this knowledge, just like so readily available to the point where kids are like, yeah, I want a planet in a galaxy or in a solar system in a galaxy surrounding a star. And there are, Billions and trillions of them, and it's one of these things where you sort of get bored of that. How does that even happen? How do you get bored no, of how do you get such bored a fascinating <laughs> thing? But at the same time, it might have to be a comparison that we have like these thousands of years of not actually maybe understanding that scientific aspect, but then having this really strong spiritual connection to the stars. What was more fascinating, to be honest, and it's maybe showing that before like the the idea that the stars were these alive. Um, Well, actually, even just to get back to what we know um, scientifically, you know, I think it also goes, people start to just brush it off after, once they know what they know. But then you start to learn like a little, you know, I have older people talk to me and say like, well, I was taught that we lived in a stationary solar system And that's such an interesting thing because we know space is moving and everything's moving. But when you learn about the importance of like where we are in space, it makes things like astrology actually seem scientifically real in a way where before people would be like, oh, I'm a Scorpio. You have no idea what that really means. When you understand it's because you're orbiting around a sun and there's these different energies in space that you're being. So when you're able to sit on the earth and look at the stars and then be like, oh, I'm in this part of space because I see these bodies right now. That's even, a, you know, it goes into knowing about how that affects you, what kind of energy that's going to put inside you. And you mentioned briefly about how a lot of these constructs that were put in, I mean, I almost think that's one of them is knowing the scientific side only to the stars. Maybe that's kind of a thing. That like
0: just-, just empty bodies of rock
1: in, in and yeah right? No, exactly. Uh, it really does become like we're just floating, meaningless. And that was something I struggled with an awful lot. And I meant to mention, uh, but I cut myself short. But I, you, you asked about like, where do I really get caught up on these texts and finding truth? And that was one of those things is that I couldn't feel like we were actually so insignificant. It, it didn't make that much sense to me. Because if you look around in, in the world that we're asked to live in, people care about themselves so much for one it's like an innate thing we care about ourselves and each other but then there's also that more like the social constructs where it's like if i'm you know how do I even find a sense of like, why it's important for me to speak? If I'm just one in seven billion of these apes that don't have a real significant source to speak from, it's all just, we're just pretending that we're important is what it felt like to me. But once I started to understand that there was perhaps outside energies influencing even things as simple as mood, it changes as to like, well, you know, why like, like a solar flare, for example, here I've been learning a little bit from you and Gerald Clark and listening to some of those videos about the solar minimums and stuff like that that's really interesting science as well to get into but the effect it'll have on us and our how we see ourselves possibly being from the stars you know like uh, that's what we say we know today that we're kind of like they say in the emerald tablets even we are born of the space dust to some degree because we're made of this physical earth and but then the spiritual side as well is like the leftovers of the stars as you've called it before
0: yeah i i see stars as like these these Conscious creators of life than mm-hmm. self. and um, you know, I am very lucky to live in a very rural part of Maine. And every night, um, I deliberately go out with a, you know, like a, like right now we're still in winter, so I put on a lot of warm clothes when I'm taking my dog out or wherever to go outside for a walk. And I I do that because I'm not in a rush to come back in. In fact, I'm mm-hmm. in a rush to get out so that I can perceive this incredible show that's just right in front of us. I mean, you're perceiving this cosmos that's just coming right across the sky and you're, you're on this planet that's going thousands of miles an hour and we're all moving through this, this vast cosmos where it's estimated that there are millions, if not billions of planets that have life itself on them, not to mention all the countless star systems. And I, you know I'm looking up and seeing you know, the star Sirius shining in the distance and I'm looking yeah. up and seeing Alderbaran and you're looking up and seeing the Pleiades star system. And I, I I try to sit there and what I do is I play these little games. I say, just imagine what it would be like if I was there looking back. You know, how would this this entire thing be perceived? You know, take yourself out of this equation and just try to imagine these locations. When you see a star, just know that there's most likely a, a set of planets revolving around it. Okay, what are those planets like? Are there sentient mm-hmm. beings there? What kind of life is there? Are they just empty, dead, meaningless places like we're told? Or is the cosmos truly alive and that we are like this experiment to almost allow us to become aware of it when we're ready? You know, I, I in many ways, I like Thoth mentions and a lot of others. We're like the children of men. We're like these children that pretend like we're adults. But really, our mentalities are so primitive and so silly that for us to ignore... I mean, most people I know care almost nothing about the universe, the cosmos, that the fact that they're on this planet. I mean, we're on a planet flying through space and most people don't even care. It, it, to me, it's mind-boggling. I, how, yeah. and when you, when David, how do you... How do you go about daily life? And maybe that's one of the reasons why, you know, people like you and others want to lose themselves into some fantasy game or something, because this reality is so offset that it's like, we want to try to go somewhere else to feel comfortable because it's so painful to be in this reality. Sometimes.
1: We can get into more of the reasons about why it got so painful like that in terms of specific things we deal with in a day to day, because, What I find is fascinating is that there's so little focus, like you said about the Nag scriptures, when you ask somebody about that, what are the chances they're gonna know about them? Well, even if you ask somebody just about really how they feel about those sort of things, they might just be kind of like a cookie cutter answer, like they haven't gone in and done this research from like a level where it matters to them. So when it comes to wondering where personality and individuality comes from, once you start looking at these writings, for me it becomes the question of okay well what kind of influences have been affecting me where why were those influences affecting me you know like was there an intent um and I'd like to start almost with music the way I've, I've been able to experience this at least one time where I realized that I was completely controlled by the music I was listening to in my life and I would really encourage people who maybe don't have that feeling like they've definitely gone through that once to maybe look at if they should go through it because when I was younger I used to for example listen to a lot of music that pertained to my longing to have romantic relationships and I thought that was kind of goofy because right away from me this sort of aspect of of being distracted and wanting romance kind of came from once I learned about the eagle and the serpent it, you get all these answers of course to where these things came from and that was one example for it. and I was listening to like this mopey stuff and when I started to break out of that shell and, and listen to specifically, there's this artist named Roger Hodgson from the band Super Tramp, which is a pretty famous band, but um, Roger Hodgson, very highly conscious and loving person and was able to show me really exactly how, how much of a difference, like the wording, when you're listening to a song, that's basically going like, oh, she won't love me, blah, blah, blah. And you're basically letting people put thoughts in your head. But To just note while we're talking about the music thing is, is how aggression and even sort of just aloofness you know lack of care is injected into i think the musical like as i grew up very middle school and stuff you know you're like 12 years old and you start to get introduced to a music scene and probably around that age i've noticed with these kids and a lot of it's all about money sex and drugs and you're so confused about why people would just spend all of their time just thinking about this and it becomes really clear once you realize they're trying to keep us in this low state of consciousness like music that sounds good isn't necessarily good for you. That's the basic most way I can put it because I've listened to a lot of, when I was younger and I was trying to trying to navigate all that, there was a rap I had just had to get through. Obviously that was what was on the radio and stuff and all these pop songs. And uh, I think that the, yeah, just the, the bombardment,
0: you know, it'll keep people- It is, it's a bombardment, isn't it? We're being bombarded though, by all these things that are influencing us, whether it's music that we're listening to or watching TV, these TV shows that were being injected and, and were, oh, this is a really cool show. You know, you're, in, you're in middle school mm-hmm. or high school. Like, oh, everybody's watching this. Well, you've got to go watch it, right? Yeah. And, and what we're not taught, like you said, we're not taught anything about consciousness or how our, our mind can be influenced by these sub, subliminal messages yeah. and thoughts and influences. And before long, it's like people have been conditioned in this completely different mentality that they didn't belong in, in the first place. And I want to mention, and I've never mentioned before, but um, personally, my favorite band, and I encourage others if they really want some of these pieces of music that really talk about like higher vibration and, and really um, helping expand us. My favorite personal band is Bombay Bicycle Club. Um, and I, and you know, m- most people have never even heard of that. And that's in most music that is really popular doesn't always tend to be the music that really is is always very helpful and i think that's a very mm-hmm. um it's a very purposeful thing that was done is it seems like every aspect of we see all around us from being pushed into just this mentality of just bad food and you know things just soda and and, and things uh, water that maybe has fluoride all these things to tv and music and Um, certain mentalities about how we should think before long, all these constructs that have defined us are are largely just this coercion of this inaccurate viewpoint that we really should be having on exploring who we really are, exploring our imagination, our creativity, our individualism and and sharing that with others without feeling like we're going to be ridiculed. Um, And that's, and I think that's a big aspect of, of what really broke me out of my shell to start to really look at things in a different way and but unfortunately some of the negative sides of that is when you do decide to have that path um, it often can be a a very lonely path because most people are so fixated on that other type of reality that you know like I mentioned you go to a party and you know people want to just do small Mm -hmm. talk and talk about sports scores and and a lot of these sort of really often meaningless types of information and and in the person who And I'm so eager. I just want to meet those people that want to talk about, you know, astronomy, geology, biology, you know, uh, spiritual realms, ancient texts, anything that has to do with understanding our reality. And unfortunately, it seems like it's very difficult to find.
1: I I definitely know what that feeling is like and and how hard it can be then to to talk to people who aren't... um, Looking into those things at all, really to interface with a society that has, oops, sorry, completely um, really ab- abandoned any sense of wanting to find truth. Yeah, that's a good way, know, to, you, way to put it. You are. It, it's almost it's strange to me. I find that there's like a, a limbo right now with people mostly my age where they want to accept the benefits of having a spirit. They think like, well, I could do whatever I want. Free will sounds great. Overthrow the government but they don't look at the disciplines. And when I say discipline, I just want to point out it's another one of these inversions possibly by the eagle is that you know we think of discipline a lot of the time as being like, you have to discipline your kids. But in fact, you have to teach your kids discipline. It's the thing that you practice yourself, you know I mean? Because we use it sometimes like, uh, what is your discipline in life? And it's like, well, it's a job. It can be used that way. And so I think like, when you start reading about this esoteric knowledge and um, especially things like the Emerald Tablet, he would realize you'd have to become a bit like a monk almost to really get out of body. And that's a bit of discipline and that our society seems really just doesn't want to have anything to do with. Yeah. Um, and, and even the idea of like controlling yourself, be, let alone having somebody else control you, which I found very interesting. Um, one thing I've noticed maybe is, and, and it'd be interesting if you could touch on this, is sort of yeah. the idea that we have like a, like a witness at all times you know, it's something I find that a lot of people my age will struggle with because of the way things they do behind closed doors, perhaps. They don't want to think that their life isn't a secret. And whereas I've taken this path of I don't want to deal with secrets anymore, I'm trying to uncover them. And uh, part of that, for me, I found it actually comforting to think that I wasn't alone my whole life all of a sudden. Whereas I try to tell people, I'm like, don't you understand that there's like, there's two of you inside of you to some degree. And this other you is really knows better and is, it might judge you a little bit, but from an idea that it wants you to grow. And that's one of these things where people, they just think like, oh no, I've done some things I don't want anybody to know about. And like, they don't even want to accept. It's almost like they're stifling themselves that way too.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a great point, David. I, I really um, can um, resonate with that quite deeply. I, I, I got to the point where I think, um, when I became, I guess I could say I went down a road of becoming almost like an atheist when I was at my darkest point mm-hmm. in life. And I was almost angry of mm-hmm. the idea that I was just alone and that there was nothing, nothing mattered, nothing, everything was meaningless. And I, yeah. I, it was very, very, um, it, it was very damaging. And I, and I remember, you know, once I started spending time paying attention to ancient texts and getting a little more spiritual and starting to understand that everything is connected and that we have this higher self. Like you said, there's like these two people that resides in us. There's like this lower self that is like this primitive side of us. And then there's this this higher self that that, that's there all the time. And everyone has it. The problem is that most people just don't really know how to listen to it. And I think that it comes through in certain on certain subliminal thoughts and in, in things like intuition, these feelings mm-hmm. where w- most people will just choose like a logical type of perspective where everything they, they decide to do in life is based on like this, their mind deciding it. It's like, Oh, it's, 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 everything's based on my own intellect. But then there's this whole other side where it's like, you really, you probably shouldn't do that. Or maybe you should do this. Like these little hints, this, these little like fragments Got of feelings. this other intelligence. Right yeah and and, yeah. and to me once i learned that it 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 all of a sudden once i started to understand our connection to all of this and the higher self and everything it was an incredible um breath of relief because i didn't feel alone anymore it was like all of a sudden i wasn't just this this darwinian ape that nothing mattered and i was going to die i was yeah. part of something much greater than myself
1: and that's something i've been very thankful i want to actually just thank you right now again like you've you've been able to supply a lot of purpose in my life, Matthew, by sharing this knowledge. Like I've been, it goes from, like I just said, looking at really almost hating yourself because you're just alone and you're angry about that to being like, Oh wait, I can use my life to help maybe help other people have the realizations even.
0: Well, I think that's a big part of what separates individuals that start to realize that they're, you know, not running with the pack anymore. They're not part of this almost like a farm of conformity. They're, they're creators, they're imaginers, you know, they, they create music, they create artwork, they create, they write, they, um, they create beautiful, um, they go out and create gardens, they clean up their world, it doesn't matter what it is, it's all about creating and, 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 and bringing something back and, and, and giving something back for this incredible opportunity, it's a gift, to be able to be alive and to experience this incredible reality. I walk outside in the springtime after a long winter, when you have that leaf out where, where all the leaves just explode mm-hmm. during like a one week period. And they're the brightest green you could ever imagine the mm-hmm. whole year. And I'm just overwhelmed with beauty. And I, I think to myself, not all there's mosquitoes around and bugs. I think, this is the most beautiful reality I could ever imagine. And I'm, it's truly an honor to be able to be here right now. And I think we need to remind ourselves that, that this really is an honor to be here. Because once we do, we take more responsibility for the fact that we're here and have these, these decisions we can make that can influence so many others. And we can really give something back for the fact that we have this ability to, to stare up into the cosmos and, and perceive our existence here. Because it really is an incredible thing to have, and it's to me, it's a gift. Well, David, um, before I go ahead and have you call out your website and information, I just want to point out that um, Yaldabaoth in the um, the Nagamani scriptures is specifically called the uh, the ruler of essentially the demiurge, and the demiurge mm-hmm. is this idea that we have this primitive state that exists within us. From you know the fact that yeah we do come from origins that aren't just from you know conscious spiritual like from the stars but you know our base origins are of something like a more of a, a neanderthal type of oh, creature either. who you know has these base these base urges and those urges can can really control us in many ways and mm-hmm. if in this this character this individual who's this ruler over material world they are essentially their reference as being the ruler of essentially our demiurges and when you look at everything about how it's been rewritten in our reality has been certain things have been constructed in it so that we are basically just living through our urges in almost at all times, that seems like the whole point of most people is yeah. that just living through urges. And I think that's really a very telling thing because if you were to live through your urges, you would never be able to advance into a higher being because you'd be stuck in your most primitive state. And I think it all comes back to that.
1: Yeah, so- for sure.
0: So David, go ahead and um tell everybody um you know just quickly what your website is and, and you know where they can find your work.
1: Okay. So yeah. Um I said before, just for anybody who is going to be looking at my work, there, uh, it's I never took much of like a huge corporate stance. So if you're thinking, oh, he's a graphic designer, don't be too surprised if you see that it's kind of relaxed and more art-based. Um, but maybe you'd be happy with that. And so, I recently put up a website. I hope I can get it sort of right here. I think, believe you'd go to davideasterdesign.wixsite.com/slash, and maybe you can put this in the link. Uh, I'll, I'll
0: have it in the link below. Don't worry.
1: Yeah, arcane imaginary and that's just uh, currently where I have a bit of like a portfolio I put together for this talk Um, but I would encourage people if you want to just sort of get maybe an idea of this my general ethos is this is the reason why I named my Instagram account this is it's ethos Easter so E-T-H-O-S underscore Easter like the holiday and um, if you kind of go there to get another bit of an idea of just what I'm all about and the kind of art I like to do. And, um, on the, on the website there, sh- I think it should work is that there's an, a contact page. Uh, but if be just in case you can just reach me at davideasterdesign at gmail.com uh, or on my Instagram.
0: David, it's been awesome sitting down with you. I really enjoy talking to you. You're obviously an incredibly deep thinker um, and a very talented artist. And so I really appreciate all the work you've done for me. Um, I highly encourage people to, if you're interested in having something done, contact David. He's a very, very eager, um, graphic artist who's got a lot of talent. Um, and I, I just want to say, I really appreciate David for coming on today and I appreciate all the people that, that support my work. Um, if you're, if you don't know, I am, my website is thestageoftime.com, and my YouTube page is Matthew LaCroix. I also have an Instagram and a Facebook as well. Uh, check all that out and, um, Next on Mastermind Discussions, um, we're going to be having some exciting guests, people like Billy Carson and, and some other unknown ones. I'm not going nice. to bring up, but so we have a lot of exciting um, content coming up. Go ahead, David, uh, give your last thoughts.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to bring up the discord that perhaps we were talking about. Oh setting yeah. Up. So, thanks for bringing it. Thanks so, for
0: mentioning that. Yeah.
1: So for anybody on who is avidly following the show, Mastermind Discussions podcast, I would like to raise a, an up, sort of an idea um for those who maybe don't use facebook or there's this uh, program and site called discord which you some are going to be familiar with and i did see somebody request that matthew perhaps set up a discord and i took it sort of upon myself while doing the graphic design work for him that maybe we could just you know i know you're so busy that we could look into starting to manage one of those because discord works in this great way where people can they can have access to different chats that have uh, you no know, access, so they're just purely informational, and then actual live discussions at the same time within the same little framework rather than having to go online and look up like all those hard translations you have to go through to find something, even like the Enuma Elish or the Atrahasis, like to find Stephanie Daly, you know, her translations that you tend to use sometimes that can be difficult, but they just have them Atrahasis and then Atrahasis discussions, and it's such a lovely way, for example. and. So what I would say is to people listening, um, if you could comment on like the YouTube or the SoundCloud, I don't think Spotify has comments, but um, just let us know if you're interested in setting up this sort of idea to bring people together to talk. And we're thinking of calling it Mastermind Discussion Social, just because it's a nice simple kind of work.
0: A little little community, right? So people can have someone else to talk to about the very same type of experiences they're going through and someone that can relate. And I think that's great. Um, David has offered to moderate the site and I really appreciate it with, um, time being somewhat limited, but, um, David, thank you so much for doing that and everything else. And I want to just thank everybody for joining me today on episode number three and until next time.